Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Oh, and first pitch crushing! Deep left field! This is way back! Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. What a fun day for the Cardinals. Let's talk about it. Welcome into Fantasy Baseball today on Wednesday, June 15th. Frank Stanfield joined by Scott White and Chris Towers. Today on the show, some waiver wire hitter debates, pitcher bounce backs, the worryometer, and much more. But let's jump right in. Oh my good, goodness gracious! All right, Chris, you made an awesome analogy before we started about taking the low-hanging fruit as your oh my goodness gracious player of the night. Who yeah, is that player, and what is the log- analogy? Yeah, when we log on, Frank is always like, so what do you guys want to do for oh my goodness gracious? And usually if there's like an obvious one, there's kind of like nobody wants to step up and be like, well, I'll do it. Because, uh, you know, you don't want to be the guy who takes it. And, and what I've realized is this brings me back to when my friend was working at Olive Garden as a waiter in, in, in college. And he told me that their policy, and I don't know if I'm like, you know, putting anybody on blast here, so I won't say any names. But he told me their policy was with the never ending breadsticks that they bring one extra breadstick than the number of people at the table because the... Their research, I guess, has shown that when there's just that one left, people are less likely to grab it and people are overly deferential. And so that helps them reduce overhead on the number of breadsticks that they have to give out. And me, I love breadsticks. Yeah. And I also like Tyler Malley and the way he performed today. So I'm going to take Tyler Malley for my oh my goodness gracious player of the day. He had one of the best performances of any pitcher, period. This season, nine shutout innings, not a complete game, but nine shutout innings, 12 strikeouts, two hits allowed, three hits allowed, no walks against the Diamondbacks today, 18 swinging strikes on 119 pitches, 11 of them coming with that fastball. And Tyler Malley's been really good for about the last six weeks. He's had one really bad start in his last eight. That was when he gave up eight runs in four innings against the Cubs, but other than that, he's given up. If you take that start out, he's now given up nine runs in seven, nine runs total in seven of his last eight starts. Uh, that covers, gosh, 45 innings over those seven starts. So he's averaging six and a half innings per start. He's been quite good. He's got, doing the math on the top of my head, let's say 54 strikeouts in those 45 innings. This is pretty much what we were hoping and what we were expecting Tyler Malley to be. I know he's been kind of up and down, but yeah, I think Tyler Malley, pretty good. Yeah, and I've been looking for, you know, what's the reason for this turnaround? I I did notice in his last two starts where 
he's had double digit strikeouts in both of those. He's throwing the slider less, and that is mm-hmm. his um, highest uh, batting average against pitch so far this season. So opponents are batting over 300 against that. Uh, I noticed that he's you know throwing more cutters, throwing more fastballs, and it seems like that's helped him the last two. But as you mentioned, I mean this kind of he's he's been pretty good for the past six weeks or so. And we're talking beforehand, yeah. Scott, and you basically said. I'm in. I'm back in on Tyler Malley. Yeah, I was fortunate enough in one of my 12-team points leagues that somebody dropped Malley, and I was fortunate enough to get him for a low bid. His his fastball itself has always been a good pitch. He kind of came to the majors. That's all he had. And it seems like he's been leaning into that again lately. A lot of whiffs on the fastball specifically. Total whiffs, 15-plus in four straight starts, all of them quality starts. So... You know, I don't know how long he can sustain that approach necessarily, but I, we thought he was good coming into the year, and he, he's looking like it now. Yeah, his forcing fastball has been a very good swing and miss pitch for him uh, in the past. It's actually arguably been a better swing and miss pitch than his slider, which you don't really see all that often. So, you know, today it was primarily fastball slider, He actually or splitter. He only threw the slider seven times today. Um, and generally speaking, you know, I think, pitchers should throw sliders more. A lot of guys have good sliders. Tyler Miley doesn't really seem to have a good slider. So um, I, I think this is a, a viable strategy for him. All right. Yeah. I mean, he's a very unique pitcher in that way. It, it, like most pitchers, I think he will be better when he keeps the walks down, which he did in this start. His first start with zero walks on the season. Uh, but Tyler Malley is back up to 83% rostered. Could be out there in some of the shallowest leagues, but uh, more often than not, he is rostered. And if you have him, I think you should feel pretty good about it. All right, Scott, oh my goodness gracious for you from Tuesday. Well, the other low-hanging fruit could have been Miles Michaelis, I guess, but I'm going to leave that for the worms. And instead, (laughs) I'm going to go with Nate Lowe, who had another great game on Tuesday, three for four with a ding-dong. His past eight games, Nate Lowe is batting 352 with six homers, 18 games, looking great during that time. Now, what's interesting about this is, is when you look under the hood for Nate Lowe during this incredibly hot stretch, it's not like he's impacting the ball especially well. His average exit velocity and uh, hard hit rate during this 18-game stretch are actually lower than his season averages. Which aren't all that good. They're, I'll point out. They're decent. They're, you know, they're uh, about 60th percentile. 50th, 60th percentile. But what has changed for him during this 18-game stretch is launch angle. And specifically his ground ball rate, very, very low. 38.3%. A lot of line drives, a lot of fly balls. And it's leading to a lot more production. If that's the result of in a change in approach for Nate Lowe, I think that's very, very encouraging. You know, if it was just, oh, he's clobbering the ball right now, okay, he's hot. But if he's done something with his swing to make it less ground ball then like this, this might just be the natural outcome. I'm not saying he's going to hit 350 forevermore, but... He could be a productive first baseman. He hits the ball hard enough 
that he could be that. I mean, obviously he was that in the minors and we were excited about him when he was first breaking into the majors. So I, I think it's definitely something to keep an eye on. He's only 42% rostered. Mm-hmm. And something I've read about in the offseason is that the Rangers brought in either a hitting coach or a hitting instructor from the Giants organization. And in recent years, the Giants have done great work with getting the most out of their hitters and improving launch angle. We saw it last year with Brandon Crawford. So it wouldn't surprise me if they're kind of going through a similar approach right now with Nathaniel Lowe. Uh, and, and during that stretch, Scott, you mentioned the ground ball rate is down, not impacting the ball all that hard, but the barrel rate is up. It's like 15% during that 18-game uh, stretch, and I would imagine it only went up more after Tuesday's game where he did hit his uh, eighth home run overall. Uh, I was going to save this for later, but you know, since we're on the topic of Nathaniel Lowe, some waiver wire hitter debates, and would you rather have Lowe or Luke Voigt, who is also kind of coming around. Since he's come back off the IL, he's hitting 254 with seven homers, 22 RBI, lots of line drives. Chris, who would you rather have, Lowe or Voigt? Uh, it's it's Voigt pretty easily for me. We've seen Voigt be an impact player in the past. I don't know, like Luke Voigt's 1,100 plate appearances into his major league career, and he's basically been a 107 to 113 OPS plus guy his entire, every single every single season. I just think like, He's probably just a decent hitter, whereas Luke Voigt has shown serious potential to be more than that. He hasn't done it so far this year, right? But obviously he's shown that potential in the past. Luke Voigt has. It's, yeah. you know, maybe there's this new level that Nathaniel Lowe can get to. Scott, what do you think? Lowe versus Voigt? You know, I think I'd be inclined to take the shot on Lowe right now. I, I know Voigt's been hitting some home runs. The strikeout rate is still astronomical. Yep. Like he's got a, even during the stretch since he returned from the IL, if he's going to strike out at this rate, it's going to be hard for him to make, make a fantasy impact. You know, if, if you're forcing me to keep one maybe for the rest of the season and never make a move again, then maybe I would lean Voight. But I don't know. I, I kind of feel like you can leave Voight out there right now and, and uh, ride the hot hand and Nate Lowe, see where it goes. All right, well, hey, you know I'm going with my guy, Nate Lowe, as well. I, I do like Void. I like what he's done recently. He's hitting the ball well, but I just think there might be something, a, a new level that Nathaniel Lowe can get to. I will also point out Nathaniel Lowe's career against lefties. He has been better against lefties in his career than he has against righties as a left-handed batter. So I don't think he's in danger of any kind of platoon split or playing time concern. Uh, again, that is Nathaniel Lowe. Oh, my goodness gracious, for me... Paul Goldschmidt, which will kind of transition into all of the Cardinals and just a huge day for the Cardinals and Miles Michaelis, one out away from a no-hitter. It's so sad. But uh, Paul Goldschmidt, doubleheader, hits three home runs across both of those games. And uh, he also had, I believe it was six hits total, eight RBI, and he's now batting 349, 16 home runs total. His last 162 games, Paul Goldschmidt, 333 batting average, 40 homers, 12 steals, 116 runs scored, 126 RBI so far this season. Uh, leaning into a fly ball heavy approach has helped with the power so far. He has just been amazing. And this was today was the first time, well, I guess yesterday when you're listening to this Tuesday, where I actually considered moving Paul Goldschmidt ahead of Freddie Freeman in the rankings. I don't know that that really means anything to anybody, but... What do you think about that move? Have you guys considered it at all? Well, I actually have him behind Pete Alonzo as well, who's having a great start to the year himself. Yeah. Uh, not as good as Goldschmidt, 
there aren't many hitters who are off to as good a start as Goldschmidt. Uh, uh, I, I mean, I yeah, I mean, I I could see it. I could see doing it. I'm a little skeptical. I mean, obviously he's hitting three forty eight, so you know, goes without saying. I guess that he's that I'm skeptical of him sustaining that, but. He is somebody who's drastically outperforming his expected stats at a time when you would expect most hitters to be underperforming their expected stats because it's still based on the the 2021 environment as opposed to how the ball is played this year. So that in and of itself, I think, is reason for skepticism. He's not hitting the ball as hard on average as he did last year. I'm not saying Paul Goldschmidt is going to crater or anything. He's going to be a stud. But... His best has probably already happened. You know, I, I would have said that yesterday, and then he just had <laughs> this game, where he, this day where he hit three home runs between two games. Uh, but I, I nonetheless think it's true. So, you know, if you want to rank him ahead of Freddie Freeman, if you want to rank him ahead of Pete Alonso, well, that's fine. I guess my thing there is to what end, right? Like, we're not drafting. Right, you know, so like unless someone's trading Freddie Freeman for P- Paul Goldschmidt, well, which hypothetically, might, you know. right, right, I, no, but hypothetically, like, that's the question you should ask yeah, yourself. If but I, it's, if I it's, had Paul Goldschmidt, would I trade him for Freddie Freeman? If I had Freddie Freeman, would I trade him for Paul Goldschmidt? And I think in both scenarios, I'd say no, just because yeah, I'd rather stick with what I have if if I'm not sure I'm upgrading. That's just psychologically that 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 works yeah. better for me. You know, like I, I, it's the 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 exercise that we do, but it's also like, if you prefer Paul Goldschmidt to Freddie Freeman, I think that's fine. I prefer Freddie Freeman. I think the longer track record is safe. But you know, but like, only one hitter has a higher wobo over the last uh, calendar year than Paul Goldschmidt. You guys want to guess who it is? Uh, Aaron Judge. Nope. He's fourth. Jose Ramirez. Woba. Jose Ramirez is eighth. Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper. The only player with a higher WOBA than Paul Goldschmidt. His ca- Paul Goldschmidt's numbers over the last calendar year. I believe he leads. He's second in home runs or runs plus RBI. He's got 36 home runs, 111 runs, 117 RBI, 11 steals, and a 328 average over the past calendar year. That's that's pretty bonkers. He is yeah. awesome. I started thinking today, I was like, is he a Hall of Famer? I I, I don't know, man. Well, uh, this has gotten him back on track. Somebody yeah. somebody yeah. mentioned to me on Twitter, I thought it was a great analogy because a couple of years ago, uh, you know, for a stretch of a couple of years there, Paul Goldschmidt looked like he was in steep decline. Like, yeah. we, we couldn't even count on him as a reliable fantasy option anymore. And somebody called him. Uh, the Justin Verlander of hitters in that way. Because if you'll remember, there was a yeah. stretch when Verlander was still with the Tigers, multi-year stretch where it looked like he had lost it. Uh, so, you know, if, if Goldschmidt has that kind of finish to his career, then yeah, you could certainly see him being in the Hall of Fame. Goldschmidt and Alonzo, by the way, both top seven players overall in Roto this season. Goldschmidt's averaging 4.1 fantasy points per game, so he's a little bit better than Alonzo in that format, but both guys have been absolutely awesome. So uh, if you drafted them in your whatever fourth, fifth, sixth round, something like that, you love it. Uh, I did bring up the Goldschmidt, uh, Goldschmidt versus Freeman debate uh, because we got an interesting email on Tuesday from Andrew, 
And he had this to say about Freddie Freeman. Some of the reporting from The Athletic suggests that batted balls in this year's environment with the new balls fare significantly worse when hit to the opposite field. Does this worry you with a hitter like Freddie Freeman? I've been waiting on the power to come with warmer weather, but with his opposite field approach, am I going to be disappointed? His max EV of 112 and 79th percentile average exit velocity look decent, but his second hardest hit ball is only 108. Is that enough exit velocity with this year's ball? to be a contributor in home runs. In 5x5, where his plate discipline and doubles don't get me much, is it worth shopping him for an SP1 like Zach Wheeler or Carlos Rodon? And that's regarding Freddie Freeman. I hadn't looked into this, and uh, you know, kudos to The Athletic, whoever's reporting it. I-, I hadn't noticed that, so I would probably have to do more research on it, but it sounds like something that might carry some weight. I, I assume that's the cause explaining the effect, right? Like, up, balls hit to the opposite field, generally aren't as, aren't hit as hard don't carry as far right so well, you know I, 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 and, I, and, and and we're clearly seeing that Freddie Freeman is hitting the ball still very hard yeah I think one thing that this might be referring to is some research on the effect of side spin on batted balls because I would assume that bat, balls hit to the opposite side have more side spin slash you know more of a slicing effect you know, just based on the the physics of it. And so, you know, if the ball is curving, it's going to have to travel further to go further. Yes. If, okay. you, if you get my drift. Okay. It has to yes. cover more ground yeah. to get to the same distance. And so I think that's possibly what it's referring to. But if you look at his spray chart from, you know, 2021, the majority of Paul Gold or of Freddie Freeman's home runs did go to center or to right. So I don't necessarily know if that's an explanation. I think, you know, we, we saw a stretch like this last season from Freddie Freeman mm-hmm. where he wasn't hitting for power. And I, I think he's going to be fine. You know, I, he just has such a long track record. Like it, it is possible that yeah. he won't be a high end power source, but like, I think at the end of the season, you're probably going to look at Freddie Freeman and he's going to have 30 plus home runs and a 300 plus average. Now, if it doesn't happen going into next year, that might be a sure. I might buy that more as an explanation and, and, you know, feel kind of dumb that I didn't put Goldschmidt ahead of him at this point. You know, I, even now I'm wondering like what, what's really the downside of moving Goldschmidt ahead of Freddie Freeman well, there's no downside. Like, to, like that that's what I'm saying is like it, there there's not really any downside to either one. Like it yeah. I, well, I can there, see there's like, a downside to moving to not moving Goldschmidt ahead of Freeman. Well, there's right? downside if, to if, moving Goldschmidt ahead of Freeman. Is that you're reacting to a really really good two-month stretch from Goldschmidt. But it's not a really good two-month stretch. It's a really good year-long stretch. That's true. Sure, but like Freddie Freeman is still one of the 15 best hitters over the last year. And so the last year thing is arbitrary. Like that is an arbitrary endpoint. And there's yeah. probably some, are you, are you sure he's one of the best 15 hitters over the past calendar year? Yes. I, he was 12th in Woba. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. No, I think it makes sense. And and if you look at the larger sample, the really the past five, six, seven years, Freddie Freeman has, you know, outplayed now, Paul Goldschmidt. I'll point out Freeman only has 21 home runs over the last 365 days. So there could be something there, but mostly because of this season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean he had 16 in the final 100 games or whatever last season, which is a good but not great pace. Last point on this theory, 
Freddie Freeman does go to the opposite field a lot. He's doing it way more this year than he ever has. 34% opposite field, according to fan graphs. That's 27% for his career. So if you assume that that just kind of evens out to where he's been at for his career yeah. and he just starts pulling some of these fly balls more, I, I think we should see more power and, and from I Freddie Freeman. And I think there was something like that last season around this same time where Freddie Freeman was hitting the ball hard, but just wasn't pulling the ball as often. I, I'm pretty sure I remember. Um, he, he got off to a really I might bad have even written about that last, last year. year. Like the first two months of last year, Freddie Freeman was like he was he was hitting, uh, I, I want to say, below 250 even. So yeah. like he's, he's off to a better start this year than he was last year. He was hitting for power, but yeah, not not as much. And, and he's running, too. He's got five seals. It's the middle of June. It's pretty interesting but uh yeah dodgers i guess he has that luxury uh let's get back over to the cardinals miles michael as we mentioned i mean one out away from throwing a no hitter against the pirates he goes eight and two-thirds one hit one unearned run one walk six strikeouts he had 11 swinging strikes on 129 pitches lowers his era to 2.62 for the season and as i've mentioned multiple times like i, I think just finally getting healthy for Miles Michaelis, and the control has been immaculate. Under two walks per nine, I think that helps Miles Michaelis perform to this level. You know, not that I expect him to remain a sub three ERA guy, but uh, Chris, I feel like you haven't been around recently. Whenever we've talked about Michaelis, so do you have any thoughts on him? Uh, I'll put him in the Martin Perez category. <laughs> I don't know if that's good or bad useful. anymore, Chris. <laughs> he's, you, he's oh, I think it's, I think Chris has been consistent about. Yeah, he's a friend. <laughs> like I, I think he's fringe useful against the right matchups. Um, yeah. yeah, Arizona's a pretty good matchup. Well, he was going up against the Pirates. Chris. Sorry, sir. Sorry, <laughs> but it's also a great match. Also, so. even a better matchup. Yes, your point remains. Um, but I think for the most part, yes, someone who pitches to contact. Yeah, I don't want to downplay. This is obviously an awesome performance. But uh, yeah, he's probably There's more just of only a, so much upside yeah. with this type of pitcher. Well, more of a streamer than anything. Scott, I wanted to get back to the bullpen, right? I love yesterday. We make these proclamations. It's like, yeah, we've got the Cardinals bullpen figured out. Game one of their doubleheader. Got him. Ryan Helsley pitched in the eighth inning with a two-run lead. He faced the heart of the Pirates lineup, two, three, and four. And then Giovanni Gallegos pitched in the ninth, and he picked up his ninth save of the season. I, I don't know if we learned anything more or less over the past yeah. couple days. Scott, it's, it's just kind well, of confusing. We've learned Ryan Helsley is not the closer. Fair, yeah. I mean, em emphasis on the. I don't think they have a closer, for what it's worth, it's, I guess. It's a team. It's, it's two guys advantage Helsley still I would say because uh, as I brought up yesterday Helsley had gotten four saves since Gallego's last one mm -hmm. but as I also pointed out yesterday there there had been times during that stretch where Gallego's followed Helsley in games that you know where there were no save situation this is why I'd be hesitant to drop Gallego's mm -hmm. but I would say it's a 60-40 Helsley situation that's that's where they are, I think. All right. So, uh, look, if you play in category leagues, I think uh, hold on to either one. If you need saves, both uh, Giovanni Gallegos and Ryan Helsley, they both play on a great team, obviously, and I think there will be an abundance of save opportunities. Let's get back into waiver wire hitter decisions. And we mentioned Luke Voigt versus Nathaniel Lowe already. And I have another fun one. Michael Harris, he's been really impressive so far with the Atlanta Braves being promoted from double A. He goes three for five on Tuesday. Scotty. 
Shout out to those Braves, man. <laughs> they just cannot stop. They are awesome right now. Uh, and Michael Harris hit his second home run, three batted balls over 100 mile per hour average exit velocity in this one. And uh, he's 49% rostered. Michael Harris or Alec Thomas, another fun outfield prospect who's you know been solid so far. 270 batting average, five homers, two steals over his first 34 games here. And both players are under 60% rostered. So Scott, we'll start with you. Would you rather have Michael Harris or Alec Thomas? I'd rather have Harris. I think, you know, since he made that swing adjustment, lowering his hands, he's, uh, I, I think he's shown more upside than Thomas. But I don't know that either are quite like in the must start range yet. Harris is, you know, you look at Harris's stat cast page, it's still pretty uninspiring. Now, I'm, wonder how, I'm wondering how much the exit velocity has improved since he made that change, which roughly coincides with when he, since he heated up. I probably should have looked that up before the show because uh, I don't think I can look it up on the fly here. But, <laughs> but uh, like you, you mentioned today, he had three balls hit 100 miles per hour or harder. And I, I feel like we've heard that a lot with him lately. Uh, a lot of high-quality contact events from Michael Harris. Ground ball rate is still way too high. Again, I wonder how much that's changed since he made the swing change. But, you know, we've seen him steal a couple of bases. Now back-to-back days with a home run. The strikeout rate is respectable for a rookie. And... Uh, you know, I, I think we're to the point now where I'm sure he's a lot more available than Thomas, right? Uh, Michael so. Harris is 49% and Alec Thomas is 58. So it's pretty close. Yeah. Okay. So, the, so it at least should be about even between them. All right. Fair enough, Chris. What do you think? Michael Harris versus Alec Thomas. I think there are a lot of similarities so far. They both hit a lot of ground balls. They're both very fast. Obviously, Harris's lineup is better, uh, but Thomas makes more contact, so... There's a little give and take for each of them. Uh, Which one would you rather have? I think I'd rather have Thomas by a hair, but I think I'd rather just have both, especially in a five (laughs) outfielder league. Like if they're both out there in one of my leagues, you know, anybody who's got 2020 potential, which I think both of them, you know, in a best case scenario could, I'll, I'll take them on my team and just, you know, figure it out later. Yep. All right. Fair enough. In shallower leagues, I have a, another one here in the outfield. Andrew Vaughn or Christopher Morell, who we've been hyping up recently. Both are right around uh, 72%, 73% rostered. Andrew Vaughn had a big game on Tuesday where he went 4 for 4. He's now batting 308 with an 843 OPS, but it's kind of empty. He's got six home runs. Can we depend on him for a little bit more power? I'm not so sure. Obviously, he's still young, and he can grow into that power eventually, but there's not really anything in the underlying numbers that support Andrew Vaughn hitting for more power now, at least. Chris, if you play in shallower leagues, let's say you know, three outfielder leagues, uh, Andrew Vaughn or Christopher Morell, who do you like more? This might be a points versus roto thing because I do think Vaughn, you know, he's going to strike out less. He's probably going to have... He's definitely going to have fewer stolen bases. So I think it might just be Vaughn in a points league, Morrell in a roto league. Um, Morrell is also, is he second base eligible? Yep. Yeah, second and third base eligible, I think. So Morrell's you know, second. 
was second and second and outfield. Just second. Okay. Um, yeah. But you know, if you have to pick between one of them, that might be enough of a tiebreaker. But I'm pretty, I'm pretty happy with what we've seen from Andrew Vaughn so far. I mean, consider the hype that was around him last season, <clears throat> and consider the fact that he's now got an 8.43 OPS in a way that doesn't seem particularly fluky. I mean, he's overperforming his expected stats a little bit, but. You know, within that, there's the potential for him to hit for more power than he has been so far. So, I don't know. I, I, I still want to have Vaughn around. Fair enough, Scott. Vaughn I, versus Morell. You know, I, I might lean Morell and Roto because there's stolen base potential there, and it, it seems like plus stolen base potential, not just oh, I'm mm-hmm. going to give you a handful of stolen bases. I, you could give you a lot of steals if he keeps the job, which is a big if. By the way, I had a chance to look up uh, Harris, the batted ball metrics. Over the past week, anyway, they are significantly better. Uh, I, I would imagine after today's game, up over 90 miles per hour on the average exit velocity, and the, the launch angle has about doubled. So it's just a week, but you know he's been in the majors all of what? Three weeks? We don't have to spend too much time on this one, but for our 15-team leagues out there, no more Mazzara. Quietly hitting 344. He had two more hits on Tuesday. And Orlando Arcia, who will now be filling in for Ozzy Albies with the Braves, um, he hit his second home run. He's batting 327, only 61 plate appearances, 94 mile per hour average exit velocity. I thought that was very interesting. Uh, Scott, deeper leagues, Mazzara or Orlando Arcia? That's how you know the Braves are going. Well, they lose their all star second baseman and the guy who replaces them. <laughs> immediately comes in and has a big game. You know, I, I am kind of interested in in Arcia. Uh, Mazzara did have good numbers at AAA. He's come up and hit mostly just singles so far, which was kind of his MO during previous stints in the majors. Uh, Arcia, you know, he's he's had multiple years where he's been a major league starter and contributed basically nothing too. Now, he did hit. 17 home runs in about half a season's at-bats at AAA last year, which was interesting. And you point out his stack cast numbers this year, obviously over a very small sample. Uh, but I think just maybe for longevity reasons, since you know obviously he's going to be in the lineup for a couple months, the Braves really have no other choice. And eligibility reasons and being multi-eligible. I, I, think, I, might, I think I might opt for Arcia over... Mazzara. All right, Chris, what do you think? Arcia versus Mazzara, deeper leagues? Yeah, I would go with Arcia. Mazzara is like young Eric Hosmer. (laughs) That might be too generous to him. You know what's crazy? I think Mazzara is just like 27 years old. It just feels like he's been around for like two decades now. (laughs) Yeah, he... I don't know. He was was a guy fantasy analyst couldn't quit on. No, he just kept like... He kept not doing, like, he had the 100 RBI season, but, like, yeah, he just kept being, like, the 80th player drafted for, like, four years in a row, and it never worked out. (laughs) No, it did not. All right, so we're taking Orlando Arcia over Nomar Mazar. Before we hit the break, just remind everybody that if you are listening to us on Spotify, you can drop a five-star rating, much appreciated. If you're listening on Apple, you could do the same thing. You can drop a question in the Apple Podcast Review or a team name Tuesday, and we will read it on an upcoming podcast. Let's take a break, and we'll be back right after this. 
The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together. And nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. The news and notes for Nando Tatis's CT scan on his wrist Monday didn't reveal the desired level of healing, so his expected return date has been pushed back. He's been limited to running and fielding grounders, but alas, remains without a timetable. So, not great for our guy, uh, Fernando Tatis. Max Scherzer will throw a simulated game on Thursday. His oblique injury is reportedly feeling better following a recent PRP injection, so... Uh, all right, we could be Love a Love that platelet-rich plasma. Yeah. It's my favorite kind of plasma. Can't get enough of it. <laughs> I drink a glass before bed every night. Ah, you sure you want to do that, Chris? Uh, Jacob deGrom, <laughs> his teammate. Morbid time. Jacob deGrom will progress to an, uh, quote, up and down bullpen session. I truly have no idea I would what assume that that's to simulate, like, an inning and then an inning. Yeah, yeah. So it's more to He's replicate. behind Scherzer is what I saw today. Yeah, basically. Is, is, isn't this like... Isn't Scherzer ramping up much earlier than expected? It doesn't feel like he's been gone that long. It yeah. does feel like that, yeah. It's because of that PRP. Basically, like, I don't know. The first thing I heard of it was today, and it's like, oh, he's feeling all better because he got this PRP it's, injection. So Take that. PRP, you'll BRB. <laughs> Let's hope that. so. I've you got that slurp juice. I need... What did you just say? <laughs> it's, a, right. it's a it's an internet joke ah uh, yeah you know me i don't i try to stay off the internet as much as possible <laughs> jack flaherty will make his season debut on wednesday against the pirates he's made two rehab starts but has only been built up to 58 pitches i would imagine uh they're pretty cautious early on here so maybe we get like 70 75 yeah, pitches. the note i saw was that he says he feels better and his pitches are better than They've been in like the last couple of years, and that was why they decided to bring him up quicker than expected. So that's a good sign. Sure is. I wish they told us before the week started so we could get him yeah. in the lineup against the Pirates. That would... he, He's also said he had a chance to work through some like mechanical issues that had sprung up last year when he was dealing with whatever injury he was dealing with then. Yeah. Jack Flaherty, by the way. I think it was an oblique last year for Flaherty that kept him out for like two months. Um, and then when he came back, he 
was yeah. like a shell of himself. Brandon, yeah, and he said there, during the off season, this this thing was like, sorry, Frank, it's all good. But that the Flaherty says that, a lot of things. The show, I mean, he does have a tendency to say things. Um, <laughs> but in this particular instance, he said that the shoulder this spring was a result of changing his mechanics because of the oblique, I believe. Ah. Uh. Oh, right. and one more. Sorry. <laughs> it would not surprise me. Brandon Woodruff was able to throw a few breaking balls during a 40-pitch bullpen session on Tuesday. Woodruff recently felt numbness in his fingers associated with Raynaud's syndrome, and he said he's uh, been on medicine and has noticed daily improvement with gripping the ball. So still pretty scary for Brandon Woodruff. Fingers but, crossed. Yeah, some... Uh, some good news there. Liam Hendricks was placed on the IL with a right forearm strain, which sounds pretty concerning. Yesterday they said it was arm stiffness, uh, but it turns out to be a forearm injury. Kendall Graveman looks like the next man up and is just 15% rostered. Scott, how does Graveman stack up against Tanner Scott, Tanner Houck, and even Diego Castillo, who's getting saves recently for the Mariners? Well, first I want to point out that the White Sox did say initial timetable is three weeks okay i could see how it could end up getting extended from there uh with a forearm but strain. but they said it doesn't sound all that grave man yeah that's that is what that is what they said uh so you know if if you if if it's you know if we knew it was a six to eight week injury i might go graveman uh, ahead of most of these guys, but because they're at least making it out to be a short-term injury, I think I would take both Tanner Scott, who got another save here on Tuesday, and Tanner Houck over Graveman. All right, fair enough. Chris, you're on fire today, by the way, so keep it up. Gold star for you. <laughs> Ozzy Alves was placed on the 60-day IL with the fractured left foot. A timeline won't become available until a decision is made regarding surgery. Tim Anderson began a rehab assignment on Tuesday and should rejoin the White Sox at some point during their upcoming homestand, which begins on June 20th. Pablo Lopez will not start on Wednesday as originally hoped and remains day-to-day with a wrist contusion. The hope is for him to make a start this weekend against the Mets. Chris Sale will throw live batting practice practices or simulated games during the Red Sox's homestand uh, through June 22nd before potentially heading out on a minor league rehab assignment. He had a wild quote uh, in talking about the health scare that delayed his recovery. Uh, I believe the quote was something like, but thankfully I made it through, or if you ask some people, I guess not so thankfully. It was, it was a really weird quote. Yeah, implying that some people wish Chris Sale was not healthy. It was a it was a bizarre. Chris Sale also be saying things. Yeah, who would not want him healthy? Uh, who's he talking about? I don't know. He's got kind of, kind of like a cr- persecution complex. I feel like. All right. Yeah, I know he oh, had like a the chip on his shoulder. Yeah. His <laughs> several. Didn't he cut up jerseys? Like, I don't know, five, oh, six yeah. years ago, something crazy like that. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. because they wouldn't allow. Oh no, that was a different. He wanted to be traded because they wouldn't allow Adam LaRoche's son Drake to <laughs> stay hang out in their <laughs> locker room. Also, another classic Chris Sale. Uh, very weird. Uh, anyway, the Red Sox pitching coach Dave Bush said, "Ideally, Sale will be back as a starter." Freddie Peralta was transferred to the 60-day IL, which ensures he will be sidelined through the All-Star break. Juan Soto added lineup with right knee soreness. 
but expects to return on two, on Wednesday. Jeremy Pena out of the lineup after suffering a left wrist injury on Monday. He's day-to-day. Trey Mancini is dealing with a right hand injury, hopes to return in the next two to three days. Sonny Gray will make his return on Wednesday, start against the Mariners. Steven Strasburg placed on the a 15-day IL Monday, uh, and it turns out he's dealing with a stress reaction uh, of his ribs. Hyunjin Ryu will undergo season-ending surgery to address UCL damage in his left elbow. Mm, another another case of a guy whose production mysteriously fades, and we don't know why, and then all of a sudden he's having Tommy John. Mm. Yes. Happens a lot. Mm. It is concerning. Weird. All right, let's fire up the worryometer, get through some of these names, and a few hitters we keep getting questions about. Jesse Winker went, uh, he's batting 208, which is four home runs on the season, a 622 OPS, uh, more fly balls and infield fly balls. The hard contact is down quite a bit for Jesse Winker. Scott, where are you at? The worryometer on Winker, uh, maybe consider dropping him anywhere? Yeah. I'd consider dropping him in any three outfielder league, I would say. Worryometer, I'll go nine. Pretty high. Damn. All right, fair enough. Yeah, I I don't disagree, but I also feel like he's going to... like It feels like his swing is just a little bit out of whack. Like He's just hitting a lot more fly, a lot more balls in the air, a lot more pop-ups in in a way that like I feel like he's probably just a tweak away. Mm -hmm. Yeah, new team, new league. Take, obviously... Pretty big adjustment period, but as we talked about in the preseason when talking about him, he's a guy who very easily could get sat against lefties permanently, in which case would limit his opportunities to turn things around as well. So I don't get it, Chris. Are you worried about him or not worried about him? Yes. Okay. Alex Bregman. This sounds like a solid five. Yeah. Chris right there, a little flip flop right in the middle. If I have him, but trying to buy. Okay. Alex, if I don't. Alex Bregman, are we looking to buy him? He's batting 218 with six home runs. He does have more walks and strikeouts, which you like to see in OBP and points league formats. Uh, but he, it seems like he's trying to hit the ball in the air more, uh, maybe trying to make up for his lack of hard contact by just volume, putting the ball in the air a lot. Uh, but he, he hasn't been great. Chris, what do you think? Worryometer on Alex Bregman. Uh, this is another one where I'm worried-ish, but still looking to buy because I do think like his barrel rate's up higher than it's been since 2018. Um, it's still not exceptional, but it's still pretty good. Um, you know, he's still pulling the ball a lot, which given his limited power is, I think, a good thing. So all in all, I think Alex Bregman's going to be better than he has been. Since, He's not going to be a superstar, though. I, I feel pretty confident in saying that. Since the start of the shortened 2020 season, he is batting 250 with a 764 OPS. That was entering Tuesday's action. Uh, I don't know, Scott. Maybe I'm overreacting. Maybe this is unfair to say. Bregman kind of feels jaggy. Kind of feels like he's just a guy now. Well... What does worrying about Alex Bregman look like? It's not like he was a second round pick this year. He was, I mean, what, like a seventh round pick this year? People were relying on him to be their starting third baseman. And I think from that perspective, and I think they still should. I think he's clearly one of the top seven or eight at the position, even, even though his numbers since April have been pretty bad. His plate discipline, like he is, like, 
chase rate, a hundredth percent. He's the, he's the best chase rate guy in baseball. And that's still like, it's so superlative that, you know, even if he's a 15 to 20 homer guy now, I think, I think it's going to play up. Obviously deep lineup, all of that. I think he's, I think he's fine. I'd, I'd, I'll, I'll go like four on the worryometer for Bregman. And that's somebody I'd definitely be willing to buy on. All right, let's move over to Adley Rutschman, who has not done much, as we've seen with many prospects who get the call. And he's batting 176. He's got zero homers through his first 20 games. Is hitting a lot of line drives and hitting the ball decently hard. Scott, what do you think? Worryometer on Rutschman. Well, from a dynasty perspective, zero. Let's address that first. Yep. I haven't been motivated to move him down in my rankings from seventh, where I initially slotted him a catcher when he got called up. I think maybe maybe I moved Alejandro Kirk past him since then. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I, I still think he's going to just, I mean, you look at the batted ball metrics. Like it's it's hard to see him not becoming a top ten guy. Rest of way, where does he fit in with other guys like MJ Melendez and and Mitch Garver, who's sure to come back from his IL stint soon? And I don't know who's somebody else. You got the Braves duo. Where does he fit in with them? I mean, I could I could under if if one of them's out there, I could understand dropping Rushman for them. I personally don't think I would do it. All right, let's move over to. Trevor Rogers. You will get Trevor Rogers, Chris. I swear it's not a Marlins thing, but he failed to complete four innings for the third time this season, I believe. Yeah, third time. And Mm -hmm. he gave up four runs over three and two thirds. He had six walks at the Phillies. Just really did not have anything. 18% CSW overall. It's quite bad for Trevor Rogers. The nightmare season continues. So let's switch over to the dropometer. Chris, 1 to 10, 10 being he's absolutely droppable anywhere. Uh, what do you think about uh, Trevor Rogers in season-long leagues? Um, I think he's probably like a 7 or 8 on the dropometer. I've wanted to remain optimistic about him because I still believe in the stuff, but it just hasn't been effective. It, it's hard because if you look at the, you know, a lot of the underlying stuff, metrics still look the same like the velocity is pretty much what it was last season the spin rate largely the same extension uh you know release point is i think mostly similar i think i did see there were some changes in his release point his fastball um movement profile has changed a little bit but like he doesn't look like a terribly different pitcher than he did last season so i still think there's room for him to figure something out but there's just nothing to be optimistic about right now besides the fact that he was good last season. I mean, I, I was pretty bummed. I, I was getting optimistic. I actually wrote, you know, kind of a starting pitcher stock watch piece that, that went up on Tuesday. And I had, I had Trevor Rogers as one of the risers because I, I looked at the two starts. Uh, last three starts, the middle one was at Coors Field. Took that out because it's Coors Field. And it was bad. But the other two starts, his changeup was playing a lot more like it did last year. He actually had a fifty percent whiff rate on the changeup in, in his most in, in the start prior to this one, and that was the pitch that just wasn't right for him at the start of the year. It's, it's supposed to be his best pitch, and it wasn't doing much early on. It was back to not doing anything in this start. He got one swinging strike on it, Jeez. and 
so my faith is is diminished and he's he's already been dropped in a lot of leagues i i I wouldn't blame anybody for dropping him in anything shallower than fifteen teams at this point. It's probably up there with winker as a maybe like an eight on the worryometer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, his so what, what I was looking at, um, I saw somebody reference on Twitter. I can't remember who it was. I'm sorry, but um, his release point has been steadily dropping since last season, and so you know there could be something there. Like I, it's the kind of thing where I think there could be just like a small tweak that could help him figure it out, but it's just not there right now. The last one on the list is a reliever. Corey Knebel entered in a one-run game, and he was charged with three unearned runs. He takes his fourth blown save and fifth loss. The ninth inning actually started with an error made by Alec Bohm. Two more walks allowed by Corey Knebel. His walks per nine, 5.8 so far this season. He's been, um, you know, the ERA has been fortunate. Still low threes, but overall, I don't know, kind of worried. Scott, what do you think? One to ten, Corey Knebel. I mean, you get a start like this, the ERA didn't go up at all. It actually went down because of that error. <laughs> That's fair. But clearly, Knebel didn't pitch well. And I would say worryometer for him is probably like an eight as well. I mean, Sir Anthony Dominguez, I think, is the top prospective closer to pick up and stash. Now, he allowed a home run in this game himself, actually blew the lead on it. But his overall numbers have been incredible. And he has closing experience. Got 16 saves in 2018. All right. Would you, Scott, would you drop Corey Knebel for any of the names we mentioned earlier, like either of the Tanners, maybe Kendall Graveman? No. 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 I mean, there's a certain amount of volatility baked in at closer. So even though Knebel looks like he's on the rocks right now, I mean, Tanner Scott is on the rocks too, you know? Yeah. So I'd stick with Knebel. All right, let's move into some leftovers from Tuesday's action. A light night for waiver wire pitchers, but a, a few names that stood out to me. I don't think there's anything here yet, but I'll point out that Kyle Hendricks had 14 swinging strikes on 78 pitches over five innings pitched against the Padres, and he threw his changeup a season-high 40%, and it's far and away his best whiff pitch, so... Just something to watch for now. 61% rostered is Kyle Hendricks. Some other names, Dane Dunning gets back on track with a scoreless outing against the Astros. Six shutout innings with four strikeouts there. And then Zach Davies. That's right. That's Zach Davies. He has now tossed three quality starts in a row. He goes seven shutout with seven strikeouts to zero walks. His ERA down to 3.78. Chris, what do you think about these three names? Kyle Hendricks, Dane Dunning, Zach Davies. Yeah, we've seen a handful of starts from Hendricks this season where he's thrown the change up more and gotten whiffs with it, but it hasn't been a consistent thing and his control just hasn't been very good this season. So I'm still largely fading. You know, I think even 61% rostered is probably too high. So, um, yeah. And I think he's the most interesting of this group. There, there's some interesting things about Dunning with the, the ground ball rate, but I just don't think he gets enough swing and misses. Yeah. I, I like the slider, change up the the two secondaries for Dane Dunning, but his fastball is just so soft. I think it's like 88, 89 miles per hour. I just, I don't think there's enough there for him to overcome that. Some pitching bounce backs. Go ahead, Scott. I I think Kyle Hendricks basically is, to to bring up the third one, I think Kyle Hendricks basically is Zach Davies now. That's kind of the Spider-Man meme. (sighs) 
they'll they'll occasionally have games where their their changeup is looks like a world beater and they get a lot of whiffs with it, but usually not. That's mm. where both of them are right now. Hey, all I'm asking for is three, four good starts in a row from Kyle Hendricks, and then maybe I could flip him for something in the Scott White Dynasty League. That's all I need. Three or four starts from Kyle Hendricks. Let's see what happens. Pitching bounce backs off of recent rough starts. Garrett Cole back on track after allowing five homers in his previous start. He goes six shutout with seven strikeouts against the Tampa Bay Rays. Dylan Cease, five innings of one run ball with eight strikeouts, only one walk. That was his second start the season with one walk or fewer. And then Chris Bass, uh, Bassett, a huge start against the Brewers. Eight shutout innings, three hits, one walk, seven strikeouts. I hope you left him in there for the two-star week. Um, both of our guys told you to do that on last mm-hmm. week's uh, Friday podcast. Scott, what do you think yeah, about I had him as a must-start in my two-star pitcher rankings, and somebody called me out for it Yeah, on Twitter. Well, you called them random out guy, now. Random guy on Twitter. Take that. Let him get under my skin. Look First name, bunch of numbers. Yeah. <laughs> listen to Scott. Don't listen to me because I benched him in the podcast points league. Well, here's the thing. Three, three of four quality starts now for Bassett. He did have two really bad starts. So if you look at, if you, like if you just do a monthly breakdown of Bassett, oh, look at that terrible May ERA. Oh, look at that terrible June ERA. It's basically the fault of two starts. So, you know, he actually has a career best swinging strike rate, a career best XFIP. Granted, neither are very good, but that's kind of the point. Like they've never been good for Chris Bassett and, Look Look at the kind of pitcher he's been the past couple of years. Uh, yeah, fair enough on Chris Bassett. I did want to point out, uh, Zach Eflin was also a two-star pitcher this week, and he, he got off to a very rough start against the Marlins, and then he settled down. I think it was six innings, four runs. I will just mention, the Marlins against right-handed pitching this season, sixth best weighted on base average. So they're not yeah. as bad as they have been in years past. I'm pretty sure that they are awful against lefties like the yeah, they're worst. one of the worst in baseball against lefties keep, yeah. keep sitting jazz chisholm though that'll that'll fix it <laughs> right uh two, also gary cooper i don't know if we've mentioned him on the podcast he's much. pretty he's pretty good he's been awesome yeah he's probably under under rostered yeah i think i saw that i think it's he's like, in like the 30 percent range sub 30 yeah something like yeah. that um it is He's got an 840 OPS. 33% and the underlying numbers roster. are very good. 33% roster for Garrett Cooper. He's first and outfield eligible. Uh, all right, a few other pitching leftovers. Let's kind of just run through these. Corey Kluber continues to be serviceable. Six innings of two-run ball there. Both runs were unearned. Nick Pavetta continues this awesome stretch that he's on right now. Eight innings of one-run ball. His last eight starts, he's got a 1.83 ERA. I'm not exactly sure how he's doing it, but... He's doing it. That's Nick Pavetta. Sell. Joe Ryan made his return Sell to the map. for whatever you can get. <laughs> Joe Ryan made his return. He gave up four runs over four and two-thirds. He also allowed two home runs in a start for the first time this season. Logan Gilbert on the other side. He made it six straight quality starts. He goes six shutout with six strikeouts. Chris, anything to add uh, outside of sell Nick Pavetta? Uh, yes, yeah, sell Nick Pavetta and... <laughs> Logan Gilbert, it's so weird because he just doesn't really get a lot of swings and misses. Um, and we've talked about this in the past. So he's got this like pretty pedestrian swing and strike rate. Oh, he's got it's, pretty... it's, it's gone up a lot lately for Gilbert. Yeah. Uh, that, okay. that was another guy I wrote about in my pitcher stock watch piece. He's kind of but, started introducing 
uh, a curveball, and it's mm-hmm. it's not a very effective pitch on its own, but it's made the slider more effective the way he's playing off of them. Yeah, off yeah. I mean, he he had a thirty six percent whiff rate with the slider today, which is pretty good. Um, but the thing with him is he's he gets a lot of foul balls, and this is something that I've talked about with him, where he has this like middling swinging strike rate and middling CSW, but he gets a lot of strikes that way in a way that could be sustainable. All right, fair enough. That is Logan Gilbert. And let's move into some hitting leftovers. Wilson Contreras, a double dong, two more home runs for him. I believe he's now up to 11 homers. Should Wilson Contreras be our number one ranked catcher? I guess it's similar to like Goldschmidt and Freddie Freeman, but I've thought about it. Contreras versus Salvador Perez. What do you think? I think it ultimately comes down to how much you believe in Salvador Perez. I still have a lot of confidence in him being closer to the guy we saw last year than not. And, you know, since he complained about his thumb the other day, his production has, uh, he's, he's picked it up at the plate again. So, no, I, I am not ready to bail on Salvador Perez, and, and that's what moving Wilson Contreras, Contreras over him would suggest. So I'm fine with Contreras number two, but I'll still Before take I Perez been, over him. What was that, Chris? I've got him number two, but yeah, number one, I, I don't know. Like He's going to slow down at some point, but he kind of looks like Salvador Perez did last year. Like The underlying numbers are really, really good for Wilson Contreras, along with, obviously, the 954 OPS, but he's 99th percentile in. Max Exavilo, hard hit rate, 97th and average Exavilo. Like he's, he looks like the way he's hitting right now is an elite hitter. I don't think he can keep it up, but... Very impressive. The universal DH has helped him. It's also a contract year, so I respect Mm -hmm. it. Get paid, Wilson Contreras. Reese Hoskins went four for five with a double dong, added six RBI. He is heating up in June. 354 batting average, five homers, 12 RBI, and 1196 OPS in 12 June games for Reese Hoskins. Rafael Devers hit his 15th home run. Matt Chapman went two for four, hit his eighth homer. Gabriel Moreno... We'll take this for sure. Three for four with two RBI. He's 56% rostered if you lost Tyler Stevenson and need a catcher. Ryan Mountcastle went three for five with two doubles and hit his 10th home run. He's doing some interesting things too. 28% line drive rate, career high 92 mile per hour average exit velocity, and also a career high 13.9% barrel rate, which I assume will go up after Tuesday's action. Um, Scott, I know that we were all kind of collectively skeptical on Ryan Mountcastle, but what do you think about this start to his season, I guess? Well, the batted ball profile has improved quite a bit from a year ago. Uh, in, in fact, StatCast suggests he should be an absolute monster. That's how hard he's impacting the ball. His expected stats are 310 for the batting average, 577 for the slugging percentage. And obviously the actual stats are nowhere near that. The actual stats are pretty much in line with last year. So I wonder how much of that has to do with the changed environment. Obviously the, the changed dimensions also in his home park. I think both have a lot to do with it. Yeah. So, you know, I, I may be wrong about Ryan Mountcastle being a bust because of those factors. Cause like he may have improved to the point that he can actually live up to those numbers. I still say, kind of like Chris was saying for Contreras, it's more likely he just kind of cools off from here uh, with, yeah, with the exit that, velocity and, and hard hit rate. In that's which case, the thing that concerns me. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. All right. Is that the numbers look like they did last year, and I don't buy the underlying numbers. That is Ryan Mountcastle. AJ Pollock now has six straight multi-hit games, just not really any power during that stretch. Jake Cronenworth went three for four on Tuesday, and in the month of June, he's batting 340 with three homers, five doubles, 18 RBI in 14 games. So you like to see that for a Cronenworth. Tommy Edmond went three for five in game two with his seventh home run and another win for the Braves, as I mentioned earlier, five homers, uh, one from Michael Harris, one from Orlando Arcia, but also Ozuna, Swanson, and Travis Darno also got in on the action. The call to the bullpen will start with the Yankees. Clay Holmes struck out two for his 10th save. The Astros, Ryan Presley gave up two hits, but picked up his 12th save. For the Marlins, Tanner Scott allowed a hit, picked up his fifth save. He's 29% rostered. For the Orioles, uh, Jorge Lopez recorded the final five outs for his ninth save. He's 57% rostered. There's there's a good amount of relievers that can provide saves um, on the waiver wire, or at least it seems that way. Uh, For Cleveland, Emmanuel Class A picks up his 12th save of the season. Cincinnati was just an absolute mess following Tyler Malley. It was uh, Alexis Diaz and Luis Sessa each blew the save, and then someone named Joel Kunell picks up his first save of the season. So, But that's interesting that now, uh, well, I guess not back-to-back appearance because that Hunter Strickland save when, when Alexis Diaz wasn't available. But we saw, my point is Alexis Diaz, we saw him handled like a closer on Sunday, I believe it was. And he got the save. He gave up a couple runs, but he got the save. And then we saw him used as a closer here on on Tuesday when he was rested enough to be used as a closer again. I'm not sure I have those dates exactly right. There was a there was a Hunter Strickland save in between when Diaz wasn't available. But the the point is, uh, seems like maybe the Reds are leaning toward Diaz in that role. Of course, he has to get the job done for that to keep happening. Yeah, I, th- I think he's been their best reliever all season. Oh, uh, clearly. I mean, even with this uh, outing, 2.40 ERA. Nearly a 16% swinging strike rate. He does walk too many. This is Alexis Diaz and fly ball pitcher, so not the best combination for a closer, but he's got good stuff. It, it was just the one ghost runner that he allowed in, right? Right, yeah. So, so I, would, I, would, I would expect a manager wouldn't hold that against him, but could be wrong about that. <laughs> you never know with the Reds. The San Francisco Giants, Camilo, Camilo Duvall picked up his ninth save, and he has now pitched a ninth inning two days in a row. So... Boom, Kapler, take that. To stream or not to stream, let's start with Wednesday. Kyle Gibson versus the Marlins. Alex Fajardo versus the White Sox. Spencer Strider. I feel like we've talked about Spencer Strider like three days in a row. Maybe we have. Yeah, he's way under rostered. (laughs) Spencer Strider's at Washington. Rich Hill versus the A's. Uh, Andre Pallante will not be starting, so forget about him. And Rowanzi Contreras at the Cardinals. Spencer Strider. Yeah. Strider's the clear outlier, yeah, yeah, but and I'd be fine with Kyle Gibson or Alex Fajardo too. I don't know, Scott. Those Marlins—they're hitting the righties well. Hmm. All right, and then Thursday. Here's my analysis. Skip Thursday. There's nothing on Thursday. God's side. <laughs> <laughs> so we're gonna wrap there for Scott and Chris. I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye bye.
If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. The area you live in is just as important as the house itself. You can get to know a neighborhood without ever setting foot in it. Say you're a really active person. You could find out about the nearest parks. Do they have a baseball field? Maybe you want to join a softball league like Chris and I play in. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com. We've done your homework.